once your ego becomes part of it, then you're no longer doing the job you're supposed to be doing. And being a storyteller is a service job. It's not about getting attention for yourself. So it's not about style that gets attention or any of these things. It's all about um, giving, oh, giving somebody something. It's a generous act. Hmm. And the more generous you are, vulnerability is part of that generosity, right? The more generous you are, the more you're going to speak to that person and probably the more you're going to help them. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller. In this episode, Brian and Jesse discuss how ego gets in the way of the real purpose of storytelling, to help people. When we're rooted in ego, either because we want to be noticed or because we're afraid of being vulnerable, we serve ourselves instead of others and sabotage our message too. Think about my grandmother. I think I think I told you that story where I got glasses when I was a kid, my first glasses. Mm-hmm. And there were these big, it was like during like Sally, Jesse, Raphael would like get these big, like red and they were red. And I thought they were sick, you know, cause they yeah. you pick them out and they're from like Kmart or something. So they were, but like, I remember I wore them to school and I just got hammered that day because of my glasses, you know? And I was walking home, my grandma picked me up and she was walking me home and I was telling her, you know, about my day. And she, she was walking with me and she started telling me about how, when she was growing up, she was came from a really poor family and how her dresses weren't always the best as other kids in her school and how kids would give her flack for that and you know and we were just walking I just remember she was holding my hand and walking me to the house and she was telling me she's like don't ever let people make you feel bad for what you have or don't have type of a thing and I I remember by the time I got to her house how much better I felt Mm -hmm. just by her telling me that story and I think that that's a great example of the purpose of stories yeah, right. Like what she was doing there, that was an egoless conversation. She was trying to give me something that genuinely helped me get unstuck. Yep. Right. To this day, I don't even know how old I was. Seven, six, I don't know. To this day, I can remember the whole conversation in the walk home. It wasn't about her. She was trying to meet me where I was at. And so on this week's episode, we're going to talk about how ego, um, Choose Ryan Holiday's terminology, you know, how ego really is the enemy of great storytellers and great stories. Um, and what story looks like when we when we separate the ego from the story. I just want to say, too, that is a great story. It's exactly it's exactly how people use stories. Um, what's there, there's a couple of things about it. Your grandmother telling you her story and also her being vulnerable. Right. right. Which always makes stories better. Right. So she was also being vulnerable, which is a really good storytelling technique. And that actually means often getting rid of your ego. Right. Mm. Um, so there's that. But what's great about stories is that they um, they reproduce. Right. They make little versions of themselves. Right. And so what happens is she tells you a story. Now you have that story as your own story with your grandmother. Yeah. And now everybody who's heard it has that story too. And believe me, there are people who are going to use that story. Hmm. There are people forever will know that story. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how that works? It's, it's incredible how it works. I mean, imagine this, imagine your friend gets laid off. We're in a pandemic. 
friend gets laid off and they're like, you know, I just, I lost my job and I don't really know what I'm going to do. And I, I just feel really stuck and you go, Oh my God, I just found out I get to go to Disney world next summer and it's going to be the best. You'd be like, what? That <laughs> We'd call it tone deaf or something. Right. 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 And you go, yeah, but I want to tell the story about how I get to go to Disney world. That's a story I've always wanted to be able to tell about myself. <laughs> right. Right. And you go, yeah. dude, why would you do that? You're making it about yourself instead of your friend who's clearly in a having a tough time. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what people do all the time. As inappropriate as that probably felt right to take it away from what is the context that I'm trying to speak to and to totally shift it into like the wish fulfillment side. Yeah. Right. It's, um, it's forgetting that telling a story is a service, mm -hmm. right? What your grandmother did to you was a service. Yeah. Right. And so when you are in a position where you are serving, your ego is not part of it. Hmm. Once your ego becomes part of it, then you're no longer doing the job you're supposed to be doing. And being a storyteller is a service job. It's not about getting attention for yourself. So it's not about, style that gets attention or any of these things it's all about um giving oh giving somebody something it's a generous act hmm. and the more generous you are vulnerability is part of that generosity right the more generous you are the more you're going to speak to that person and probably the more you're going to help them hmm. you know you know what's funny though like i so when i came up you know, it was really a, a product of films in the early 90s, you know, it was when you were really starting to get the, you know, the independent movement and all that stuff was happening. So it was like anything from, you know, Miramax and like it was just it was ever you got the Rebel Without a Cause book. Everybody's reading it. It was just this idea of like and what was funny was I've never I've never I never heard anyone talk this way except for you when it comes to stories. It almost always what I hear when people talk about stories is like. You got to put your mark on it. You know, you got to, you know, what's your unique blah, blah, blah. And it, I'd never, I've never heard it f like uh, brought around back to the original form. When mm -hmm. you, when you observe it in the original form, it's obviously about service. Yeah. Like if you're out to lunch with your friend and they lose their job, what naturally, where does your brain naturally go without even thinking about it? It's like, how can I help? Oh, here's mm -hmm. a story. Maybe yeah. this will help. Here's a, yeah. here's a Band-Aid for your wound. Like, it, it's, yeah. we're, it's, we do it all the time. But then all of a sudden, when it comes to your work, you're like, oh, that's different. Right. Right? It, right. It's, it breaks the form. It's like, it doesn't make sense. Why do you think it shifted? Like, how, either, hey, how do you think it shifted? Or how do you think we lost sight of the service, storytellers as a service, and turned it into, I don't even know what you would call it, ego fulfillment or wish fulfillment? Yeah, I would say wish fulfillment's a little different um, when it comes to stories, and we can talk about that. But yeah, um, um, I think a lot of things changed it. I think it was a kind of a slow shift. Um, I actually have an issue with story ownership, which kind of flies in the face of how we think of stories now, right? I thought of it, I wrote it, it's mine. Um, I don't think that that's natural i i do like the idea of you know if i write something i i want to be paid for it i want to, that to be acknowledged and all of that but but the problem is 
when you think about the way stories worked for most of human history, they didn't belong to anyone, right? They belonged to no one. The Grimm's fairy tales um, didn't belong to anybody. They didn't write those, right? They went around and collected those stories that had been told for hundreds of years, right? Put them in yeah. a book, right? That stories were, all stories were folk tales, essentially. I, I don't like dividing stories up like that, but I do like the idea of essentially stories for folks. Folks told these stories, right? The regu <laughs> regular people told these stories, right? Um, they're folk tales. This is That's hilarious. I've never actually made that connection with folks. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, and so that's what they are. And so everybody told them nobody owned them, right? And um, if you were on a trade route or something, moving, migrating, stories don't weigh anything. You can take them from town to town. You can mm. take them from country to country. Um, and people share stories all the time. And once it's like your grandmother's story, right? You don't own that story. I know you told oh, yeah. me, right? Yeah. But that story might outlive you, right? Mm -hmm. You probably told great. It would be a way to honor her. It's, it wasn't my story to begin with. Right. Your kids will probably tell the story, right? And if mm -hmm. your kids tell the story, one day if they have kids, their kids will tell the story, right? Mm -hmm. They might even not yeah. quite know who it happened to or, right? yeah. mm -hmm. you know, um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so um, and so I think once we got way into story ownership and started making it, um, I think there was a time when the storyteller was valued uh, because they did it this way or did it that way. Um, and that's where the ownership came in because they they did a particular did it in a particular way. But I don't think the idea that you owned a story made sense to people for a very long time. Um, but now because there's ownership, that's mine. Um, I think songs were the same way for a long time. I don't think anybody mm. owned those either. Um, and so I think that's one of them, I think this idea, uh, in as art, far as uh, one of them, as far as like where the ego started to come in yeah, was with ownership. Got it. I think so. Right. Because now it's different. Well, I wrote it. It's about me. Like, gotcha, right? gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I think that's a lot of it. Um, I also think when the idea of self-expression came in, um, it, then that's also not about telling the story. It's about expressing yourself, right? Well, that's an ego, right? That's necessarily an ego-based thing. Um, you know, I mean, I think that when I work there... there you know what's is, funny? Can you imagine we have... A, we. I mean, we both direct and we have a lot of friends that direct and stuff. Can you imagine if somebody actually directed a commercial or something and didn't post about it on social media? Can you even imagine if, if can you even imagine talking to somebody and they're like, well, you know, I did that Audi spot. And it's like, I didn't know that. And like, yeah, I didn't want to post it. He's like, you know, it's just worse if I don't. It's like, can you even imagine that happening? <laughs> Making I know people something like that. and not telling everyone. I know people right? like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say that per that's probably the freest person on the planet. Right. Yeah. So just go like, oh, you know, it just work. <laughs> <laughs> I do know you people know? like that. But um, but, you know. I think that. Um, where my ego comes in when I work for the most part. I think is what I get into being proud of 
is how well I surrender to the peace. Mm. How, how, how much I take my ego out of the work is where my ego comes in. That word, that's a strong word. Why do you use the word surrender? Um, well, that's what it is. Because Just complete. Yeah, the piece. Here's the thing about being a, a writer. At least a writer who works the way I do. The thing about being a writer, what people think is you can do whatever you want. Um, but I don't think that that's true. I think that you you have to surrender to the story and the story is what it is. Once you start telling it, you don't have any ownership of it either in terms yeah. of what happens, right? Like, Oh, this is what the story demands. The story needs this. The, if I'm fighting against it, um, it, well, it's like nature, right? It's easier to figure out how to, how the river's flowing and work it work that way <laughs> instead of working against yeah. it. Right. Um, can you give me an example from one of your pieces, uh, Old Souls, Freeman, you know, maybe one of your graphic novel, I don't know, body of work where you were like, I, I thought I was going west and I ended up going east or. Yeah, uh, this is from a piece that nobody, I mean, maybe one day somebody will see it, but um, it was for a piece I was doing. I think I've talked about it before where uh, it was a um, it was years ago and i wanted to uh do a story about police brutality i've told you this before right that, so what i wanted to do was have an abusive cop not a crazy abusive cop but an abusive cop one that used rough methods and i wanted to change that character and i didn't want to be too heavy-handed with it and so um i wanted a perfect police officer for this character to learn from just the perfect and i just thought there's no way to do that and make it believable the character i want it's just flawless so what i did is i i had an alien cop um who um was their whole philosophy was compassion that was their whole thing um it was all about compassion and so even arresting criminals they did it with compassion even you know all of so it was like it's sort of a non-violent uh society and they don't um, they want to protect, but they don't have anger at the criminal. They just go, well, we just have to lock them up because they're bad. So anyway, this cop is, he's here on earth trying to find a criminal and he enlists the, this earth cop to help him. And through that interaction, the earth cop learns things. And so my alien was a complete pacifist. Um, and so he had non-lethal weapons and things like that. Um, but there was a um, uh, the the bad guy fed on um, the chemicals produced when people are frightened, um, and sort of was addicted to that. And and so um, he would put people in this stasis where they were in constant fear, and then kind of save them like a spider for later. I'll eat this later. And uh, but they were in this constant state of fear. So when they come across one of these people that is cocooned in this constant state of fear there's no way to save them um and so this alien cop decides the best thing to do would be to kill this person and i didn't want to have him kill anybody i didn't i'm like well but he doesn't kill people he's a pacifist right and i and i was like i don't want to do that i don't want him to do that and then i realized but he's all about compassion and so this is where the rubber meets the road right right <laughs> right 
what's the more compassionate thing for him to do? And in that instance, it was to kill this person and put them out of their misery. They were dead already. They were just in this state of this fear state is all they were in. And I, and I remember it's like, I tried to not do it. And I'm like, I have to do it. The story demands that I do it. It also makes a better argument. It makes a better case that sometimes these things are necessary. I can't create a world where that's not true. Mm. Right. And so I'm like, even though I didn't want to do it and it was actually depressing, I got depressed. Like, Oh my God, I had to kill this guy today. You know, it was like depressing. So, um, because I had to be that character when I'm writing them. Right. So it was a really depressing state to be in, but that was a, an instance where I had to surrender completely to what the story needed. Um, and it went in a different direction uh, hmm. than I thought it would go in um, with this character who was complete pacifist had to use uh, what he saw as violence. Um, hmm. But that was, if it was about compassion, then that was the better choice for that guy, for that character. Well, what do you gain? from trying to eliminate your ego from your work? And maybe what do you think, what do you think people think they'll lose? Cause usually there's a perception around these things. Even when we talk about story structure in general, I remember one of the things that I really fought hard was I'd read a bunch of Kubrick stuff and it just seemed like a lot of people at the top didn't need that kind of stuff to be successful or whatever. And so there was like this perception of, Oh, well, you know, if you need to understand story structure, you must just not have the magic Pixie desk or something like that, right? Right. Um, Which is bonkers. It's like if we were architects, it's like I thought I could be an architect and not know math. It's like (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm just telling you, right? It's like so. It felt like maybe I was giving up some sort of creative freedom or some sort of spark of I don't know spontaneity or something if I was to learn structure, Mm -hmm. right? So that's an example. What do you think? Uh, artists have to get, or writers specifically, have to give up. Well, not just, I mean, directors, you know. Yeah, have yeah to, all kinds what of What do artists. you think they're they're losing? What do you think they think they're losing if they were to try to eliminate ego from their work? They think they're not going to get the attention. Hmm. You know, like, hey, am I going to get credit for doing this? In fact, I, I had a student say that to me one time about, you know, uh, the invisible stuff that I talk about in invisible ink and how story structure works. And this student once said to me, he said, well, Brian, we're going to learn all this stuff and the audience is never going to see it. We do all this stuff. Like, yeah, no, they're not, they're not going to see it. And it's like, Oh, is that why you're doing this to be seen? Right. Um, I want people to see the story. I want people to experience the story. I want people inside that experience. I don't want them to know that I'm around. Right. Um, you know, a puppeteer doesn't want you thinking about the fact that they're down below the table. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that's funny. We just had Frank Oz on the show, right? Yeah. Has Frank ever said to you, I just really hope when I'm performing Cookie Monster that everybody knows it's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's the opposite of what he would say. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so at, and the thing is, when you surrender like that, you will get the credit. Mm hmm. You will get the credit. Yeah. You know, people know that Cookie Monster's not, at least at a certain age, you know, Cookie Monster's not real, right? Um, he's very real, though, because Frank Oz surrendered to that character. So he becomes very real. Um, yeah. Right. So it is, um, 
It does both things. But yeah, it's like instead of trying to get noticed, get so good you can't be ignored. There's a difference. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the Steve Martin stuff. Where yeah. it's like it's so good they can't ignore you. That's different. You know, then like, it's like, I made you a salad. I put a nail in there because I want you to remember that I'm the one that made it or something. It's like, well, you're missing, you're missing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see it a lot with uh, directors do it a lot. Right. They, they want to make sure that you see their fancy shot. Um, you know, or you'll oh, talk about a house style. You talk about a house style a lot. Yeah. Like a uh, studios, sometimes animation studios will have a house style often. Um, yeah. Um, like this is us, you know, remember we're us. Here's the thing about um, putting your mark on something. It isn't anything you have to try to do. Like mm -hmm. if you are honest, like I could give somebody else that alien cop story. And they would have to approach it from their, their framework, their life experience, their philosophy about life. Like it, it would be different because it's a different person doing it. Trying to put your mark on it is the same thing as going, I want to make sure that my fingerprints are different than everybody else's. Mm. Right. Oh, it's that's like, an interesting way of saying it. It's like, well, yeah, they, they are. already are. Yeah. Mm. You don't have to do that's anything and work on it or, you know, um, they already are. Your thing yeah. will be different by virtue of you being you. All you have to worry about is being right. good. The other yeah. stuff will take care of itself. Yeah. It's like when people try to be relevant, they're not. It's like, right. just do your thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, just do your thing. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, it reminds me of, um, speaking of trying to be relevant. So it reminds me of uh, when Neil deGrasse Tyson was in school, in college. Um, you know, there was a lot of Black Power stuff happening. And and he, he met a guy um, who was studying, like, Afro-American studies or something. And uh, I don't remember what this guy was studying. It's a, you probably find the story on the internet, but, but, uh, but he asked Neil deGrasse Tyson what he was doing. And he says, well, I'm, I'm going to be a, an astrophysicist. And he's like, well, we can't spare you for that. We can't, we need a smart person like you, you know, in the movement doing things. And he's like, I want to be an astrophysicist. <laughs> and so what I, what I liked about that story when I think about it is that, is there another famous astrophysicist living right now? Hmm. Like his presence, um, his presence, he didn't try to be relevant in that way, but just being a very famous, smart black guy is a thing. <laughs> That's a thing that probably does at least as much good as he would have done if he had gone for this other thing. Right. He just went for the thing he loved. Yeah. Oh, he loved went for it. the thing he loved. Yeah. That's what he did. That's good. Right. Um, and now he's the face in yeah, the United States of astrophysics. Yep, right, yep. right? Um, and that matters. It matters to little other little black kids, but it matters to everybody else who sees, hey, they can be this and they can be that. You know, it's like um, that's a thing. I don't want to get into representation, but that's another reason I think representation matters, not just for the people who look like Neil deGrasse Tyson, but for everybody who doesn't look like Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. oh, you know, um, I think that's important. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But uh, but, that, but that but the thing you just said, Brian, like where, where you go, he went for the thing he loved. Can you imagine what would happen if storytellers loved helping people? Yeah. Can you imagine, like going back to my grandma? What do you think she was just trying to help me? Like 
she empathized with me. Yeah. Right. And remember we, when we talk about compassion, I think it was compassion, right? We found out that it actually just means co-suffering. Mm-hmm. It's like, imagine if storytellers co-suffered and that's what griots were amazing at. Right. Yeah. They understood that they were like, hold on. My job isn't here. My job is up here. Yeah. You know, it's getting people unstuck. But like when you said they go for the thing they love, what if instead of loving the ego, you loved? Yes. Well, right? I think I think it's a healing job. So, um, you know, it's just interesting that if you look, I've talked about it before, but I really think that if you look at tribal people and you look at who the magicians are and the holy people mm. and the storytellers and the healers, it's all one job. It's all the yeah. same job. Right. We've separated those jobs, but I think they're still the same job. I think a storyteller is a magician. When Frank Oz becomes Miss Piggy, that's magic. Yep. Right? When somebody on a stage tells a story and it's just them in a spotlight and you can see everything they're talking about and feel everything they're talking about, that's magic. Right? So you are a magician. And when you say something that is healing to people, Oh, I felt that way before. Man, mm. I, I felt really embarrassed when I had my glasses and they teased me at school. Um, or I felt really embarrassed about that. Or I had pants that were too high because they were hand-me-downs. Or mm. Right? Oh, oh, I wasn't the only person that felt that way. And oh, I don't have to make feel bad because of that. Well, then you're a healer, right? It's, and, and if you're really good... Um, you can be transcendent. If you're really good, your stories are like the Shawshank Redemption, right? Which is about transcendence, which is about mm. transcending your condition uh, mm. with your attitude, right? Um, wow, because when you're rooted in your ego, you don't even have the chance of transcendence. That's yeah. really interesting, right? Because I agree with you, man. Like, if the goal should be transcendence, like, doing something that when somebody walks out of the Shawshank, they're like, Phew. you know, it's just like, dang, I wasn't even here for the last two hours. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the ego yeah. is the stuff that snaps you out of it. It's the, it's the, it's the 15 minute dolly shot just to see if you can do it. That serves no purpose. Right. And you're going, Hey, wow, it's crazy. They were able to do that without a cut. Okay. You just took them out of it. Yep. You, you just pulled them out of this world. Right. Yeah. Well, you're a bad magician. Right. <laughs> yeah, you just saw the little the extra card up their sleeve or whatever. Yeah, you're a bad yeah, magician, right? A magician doesn't want you to see how they do what they do. Man, you said something the other day that I've thought about a lot. We were just bullshitting. Like, I write down stuff all the time where you'll, I'll be like, hold on a second. What did you say? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're right. But yeah. you, were, you were talking about, you said, you said, I was talking about how, like, these people for this specific context, they were the equivalent of they, they learned we we're talking about, I was talking about this person who's a leader and you can tell that they were a very, a really good looking guy and all these things, very charming person. And now he's hit the point in his career where it's not working anymore. It was like, and I, I think I told you, I was like, it's like he had two magic tricks and all of a sudden his magic tricks don't work anymore. And you said, that's most people's problem is they try to learn a magic trick instead of actually learning how magic works. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, that's good. Like 
don't learn a magic trick to get by at a cocktail party. <laughs> right. That's surface level bullshit that most people mess with. Learn how magic works. The people mm-hmm. that try to learn how magic works, they immediately, that's the only way to the transcendent stuff. Yeah. Right. And magic doesn't work based on, you know, it's, it's uh, the people that if you, you have to humble yourself in order to learn how magic works. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. A, it, it, yeah. It's an interesting. Well, if you, if you, um, magicians are really interesting in that um, they all basically, there's only so many tricks you can do. You can make things appear or disappear. You can make things levitate. You can bring things to life. Like there's just a few things you can take things apart, put them back together. Like there's only a few things and then yeah. they're all variations on that thing. But every magician pretty much knows I mean, some tricks are so old they don't know, but a lot of tricks they go, oh, this is so-and-so's trick. Hmm. They'll say it. They'll say, this trick belongs to so-and-so. They invented this thing, and they all know it. And it's a really great way of taking their ego out of it, actually, to huh. say, I'm doing this trick that was, you know, Sudini's trick, or that was, yeah. right, whoever's trick. I think there's something uh, really cool about that, their ego you know, not to say that there aren't magicians that have ego, but there's an interesting aspect to the tradition of making sure that people are credited. Um, this trick was developed by so-and-so. Well, um, and it's interesting, right? Like you can learn one magic trick and at a cocktail party, just pull a whatever coin out of someone's ear. Um, but if you learn how magic works, you can lo- do the kind of stuff that like Derek does, right? Which oh, is Derek, like a healing. Oh, D- Derek Delgadio. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. more like a healing experience where he uses magic to help you see, right, yeah. different things about yourself or yeah. to explore these larger themes of identity and stuff. All of a sudden, it's, it becomes this, like, healing experience for people. He transcends magic. Right. Right. Um, it, it becomes bigger than the sum of its parts. Yep. Right. Like, it becomes, it's a service, yep. you know. Um, you're not just, I don't know, trying to get someone's phone number. Right. And you're like, hey, I made a flower up here out of your <laughs> hair or whatever, right? Right. It's like, no, no, it's it's the people. We we run into this all, a lot of the time. We'll be talking about this stuff. Um, and you can tell there's the people that want to learn just enough so yes. that they can get a raise at work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Learn just enough to be perceived as a magician without actually doing the work that it takes to be to understand magic. It's It's like learning enough of a foreign language to order at a restaurant or to ask where the bathroom is and go, I speak Spanish. You know, (laughs) no, you don't speak Spanish. You know, you know, you know how to ask where the bathroom is. You don't speak Spanish. Um, That's what it's like sometimes with story stuff. People know they learn just enough. And sometimes they learn just enough. So they know more than like, to the person who doesn't know to ask where the bathroom is, for them, you speak Spanish. Like, hey, right? right. <laughs> That's such a good way of saying it. Right. Yeah. You learn and enough to, to, to fool most people. Yeah. And there's some story gurus, I think, that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, won't, yeah. I won't talk about yeah. who they are, but they just know them more than most people. So when I say, you know, that person doesn't know what they're talking about, people go, I think they do. It's like. That's because uh, you don't I, speak Spanish. They help me find the bathroom. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the funny thing is, it was the point of learning Spanish to make yourself look good 
or was the point of learning Spanish because you actually wanted to be able to understand another culture? You wanted to be able to, you know, uh, uh, expand the way that you saw things. Right? I don't like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, what's the point? Right. What's the point? Intention has a lot to do with these things. It does. You know, uh, but the ego piece. So what do you gain by surrendering to the story and not making it about yourself? Well, you serve something bigger than yourself, which has never made anyone a bad person. I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, nobody ever said, you know what the problem with that guy is? He cares so much about other people, you Uh know? Yeah. Uh Yeah. No, nobody ever, you know, um, it's a strange thing, right? If you, if you think about how your work is impacting the lives of others, again, I, I hope, and I think for the most part, that's where my ego lives when it comes to my work that, um, and where I get most frustrated is when I'm not allowed to bring that to the table. Right. Um, mm. well, we've had it right. Yeah. Where it's like, Happens oh, a lot. Yeah. this will move people if we do it this way. And they're like, cut out the scene with the mom crying. And you're yeah. like, yeah, but why? And you're like, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Or something, something, something. Or I'm worried that we don't have enough product shots or whatever. And you go, wow. It's funny to me that people want to learn story just well enough to sell people shit. Right. Like that blows my mind. You're talking about. So in the arc of time, known time. Human beings have created something and efficient. They've created an efficiency method that allows them to transfer information one from one brain to the other. Right. And to do it in a way that genuinely helps other people. It's the crystallization of how communication works. It's called stories. And you go, Oh my God, I need to know that so I can sell more shit. <laughs> right. Right. And you go, well, I don't think you heard what I said. I said over the course of time, <laughs> yeah. human beings have found a way to help each other. And you're like, yeah, but I can sell more jump ropes with it. Yes, you can sell more jump ropes with it. But understand this. It's magic is bigger than a card trick. Yeah. Right. Like you're you're only looking at the most uh, uh, um, superficial application of magic. Yeah. We're talking about magic. This is how mass persuasion works. Yeah. For good or for bad. Like you're talking about magic. You're talking about human communication understanding how that arithmetic works that's crazy and the people that just go oh that's cool man i can use that to <laughs> to leverage ego to sell people stuff they don't need or blah 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 right right and you go god god that's amazing that that's that's as far as we've taken it you know right. yeah it's like it's so much richer than that like when you say things brian where you're like stories are 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 the collective wisdom of every man woman and child that have ever lived Mm-hmm. Like I hear that and I'm like, whoa, the other day, uh, the other day you were talking about how you were, I think it was a West African proverb. And you said that when an old person dies, a library burns, burns to right? the ground, burns yeah. to the ground. It's like, we're talking about history. We're yeah. talking about all of us humans being connected. We're the same. Like we're talking about these things that are so much bigger than transactional. Things, <laughs> right. Right. You know? It's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful things as a species we have is story. Mm-hmm. And it gets turned into, yeah, but if I do this cool shot, people will know I'm awesome. <laughs> right. And you're yeah. like, oh, 
that seems that seems silly. Yeah. And most people operate that way. They operate on the surface because the surface is what they see. Right. So they operate on the surface. Um, if you. If you talk to an actor hmm. who is up at the top of their craft, they talk a lot about process. They talk a lot about how to get into the mental state. They talk a lot about how to forget about themselves. Uh, again, ego, forget about themselves, right? Forget themselves. Yeah. Um, they don't talk about this expression and that look, right? People on mm. the outside, I hear interviewers say, you know, you said that line and you had that look on your face and um, mm -hmm. that's not the way a good actor processes things. That's the way, that's what happens on the outside. And so an amateur is really concerned with the outside. Yeah. Uh, but the outside should be a reflection of what's happening inside. And that's true for stories. And it's mm. true for, you know, it's true for acting. It's true for, you know, it's, um, you know, it's literally like this. The conversations we have is like, you're like, what are you doing, Brian? And you're like, I'm trying to figure out how to build the Taj Mahal. It's going to be this thing. Cool. Whatever you do, I want all the doorknobs to be yellow. And you're like, I wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, wait, what? You're you're talking about something so disconnected from the larger, right? That's the conversations a lot of people have when it comes to stories. Yeah. Right? Because their ego's tied up. They're like, but I like the color yellow. And you'd be like, great. I don't know what that has to do with the Taj Mahal. <laughs> right. One yeah. of my favorite stories about this is there was that story, uh, the Kevin Smith story where he talked about the giant uh, spider. Oh, yeah. Robot spider. Yeah. And now the producer kept pushing. Hey, man. The Superman like, movie. Yeah. The Superman movie. He's like, it's got to have a giant robot Mechanical spider. spider. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. And then he was like, uh, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe yeah. we can figure out how to get a spider in there or whatever. And, and then he said years later, that same producer made Wild Wild West. And he's like, sure enough, guess what shows up? A giant mechanical spider. And I think people hear when Kevin Smith tells that story so well, but he like, does. but like, I think people hear that and they go, Oh, that's funny. That that's funny that that happened. No, that's how it, that's happens. how it works. Yeah. Oh, it's like, wow, that's amazing. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like you, it's, you get caught up in the things that don't matter and you forget the bigger picture, which is how do we put something out there? That's actually a service. How do we actually help somebody? you know, make it through the day. Right. Which is the mm -hmm. original form. Right. You know? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people don't stories are an interesting thing in that um, because we have formalized them in some way, because we have movies and novels and plays and these things that have um, put stories in a particular box. That's the way we think of stories. So when I talk about stories, People often, they don't go to the natural form. They don't think about the story your grandmother told yeah. as a story and as it having construction and an internal logic and all the things that these other forms, what they forget is that this is the parent form of all those other yeah. things. That's right. All the rules are contained in this. Two people talking to each other, right? Yep. All the rules come out of this. This is the parent form. Everything comes out of it. And so to concentrate so much on, um, yes, but there are these movies that don't do that or to concentrate on these plays don't do that. Right. It's like processed food. often, mm. Right. Well, you can also eat that. 
you can have an apple or you can have Doritos, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doritos are almost not food, right? <laughs> and, uh-huh. Right. They're so far yeah. away from food. Yeah. Right. They may taste good. You may love them. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't do you any good to have them at every meal. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, um, yeah. it's not going to help you in the end. And I see that a lot with stories where it's not going to help you in the end. That's interesting. Yeah. Will this help them in the end? I say the same thing on the marketing side. That story with my grandma, most marketers would go, and then, and then the grandma grabs his hand and says, how'd you like to have some glasses that other people would be jealous of? <laughs> yeah. What? No, I said the kids were making fun of me and they're like, I know, but you know, it's like, no, yeah. that's not what they did. Yeah. Right. That's not what actually people don't do that kind of shit. That yeah. would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. right? You know? Yeah. And it would make the kid into a horrible human being, right? The, what yeah. they would learn is, I guess you have to impress yeah. everybody. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. you got yeah. to have exactly. the best car and the yeah. uh-huh. best yeah. house and the, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's not what the griot was trying to do. Right. And that's not what my grandma was trying to do. And that's not what all of these people do when they're not at work. Right. When they're not at work and they're just talking to their kids or their friends or their family or their neighbor, they use this form of communication. I mean, man, Brian, that was one of the first things you, sh- you taught me. You're like, hey, man, you can go home and check all my sh- check all this shit. Like. Go home and just listen. If, if anything I talk about, if you can't just observe it in a conversation, then you should go like, okay, it's bullshit. It's like clone right. characters. I'm sitting there talking to somebody and they're like, well, you got to understand. I mean, I had an aunt and my aunt did it this way and that didn't work out. It's like clone characters. Okay. Yeah. People see through contrast and they're like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, contrast. Okay. And you just start to see it's like all of these principles you're talking about. You can observe any of them. Yep. Just from listening to people talk. Yep. I, you know. Yeah. It's just somebody went, oh, that's interesting. That is a thing that we do. Oh, I'm going to call that clone characters. And then you can observe something, right? It's like when somebody's like, that's the wind. See how it comes down like this or these types of clouds. They already existed. Somebody just named them and helped right. you see the difference between this type of cloud and this type well, of cloud. It's, right? it's like when people say that uh, Isaac Newton discovered gravity. It's like, well, not <laughs> yeah. really. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. He didn't yeah. discover he gra- it. He yeah. packaged it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, people I knew about apples. gravity. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. People who are pretty gravity. clear on gravity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You know? But yeah. Um, no, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just gave it a, a name and figured out how it worked and stuff. But, you know, um, which is not nothing like, no, no that's no, not nothing. It's, it's really not. hard to go to observe <laughs> something like that and to figure out how to explain it so that other people can understand. Yeah. Right. And so it there's is. a real craft to that. So yeah, it's, not, it's, it's just not. understanding that even that he was he was trying to explain gravity. So what? <laughs> so that we as a species. Yeah can have a deeper understanding of how things work and can blank. you know, it's like even that it's just another, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. thing getting hopefully that's helping us understand more. Yeah. And so I, I just think that it's just the hardest thing. And I think the, the like young- he didn't invent, he didn't discover gravity so he could sell water balloons. <laughs> no, he right? did not. He you know what I'm saying? That would be yeah. a surface level engagement with the idea, the principle of gravity. Yeah. Most people's, their engagement with story is at that level. Yeah. You don't want to understand gravity. You just want to figure out how to know enough about it to sell more water balloons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. Uh, but then they think they can have a conversation with Isaac Newton then, and they can't. <laughs> yeah, totally. I disagree, like, Isaac. Well, who? What? <laughs> you, know? you know how many yeah. water balloons I've sold? <laughs> yeah. Like, cool. I don't think you understand. What I'm trying to explain to you is there's magic here. <laughs> yeah. There's this magic thing. It's like stories. I mean, they're as powerful as gravity. There's yeah. nothing more powerful than story. You want to talk about how to turn an entire like civilization. It happens on stories. Like when we talked about Aesop before, I don't remember if it's on the show or you're so talking where like what it used to take an army to do Aesop would come in and tell one story and then turn an entire, you know, town around. Mm -hmm. That's insane. But Aesop yeah. also understood why we need this gift of the stories and what they were for. And he did amazing things with them. Yeah. Right. But everybody who understands story can do that. Like, and people have, you can, yeah, stories. Well, I, I, did I say it on this show? But I think stories are right next to food, right? In terms of mm. their importance. They are right That's next good. to food. I haven't heard you say that. Stories are right next to food. Well, here's the thing. It's like, that's how important they are to our survival. So let's just say you, you find yourself stranded in the woods, right? Without food, right? You need food. That is a priority. I need food and I need water. What's the first thing you think you're going to do? You're going to think of stories of people, you yeah, know, you're gonna go lost to the in the woods. Of like, how do you okay. find water? And how do you, right? Do I know a story about how to build a lean-to or how to yeah. find water or how to, like, no, I have to follow the river to civilization or, right? Like, there's a story and the, the story is what's going to teach you, tell you how to get food and how to survive yep. out there. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, it's right next door to yeah, food in terms of its Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And again, it's why you want, that's all experiences. Experience is a bunch of stories, right? Yep. So if somebody is doing a surgery on you, do you want the person who's done five of those surgeries or the person who's done 500 of those surgeries? Right. Right. Everybody knows, well, 500, that's better. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, because that's experience. That's stories. That's, Oh, if this goes wrong, I can compensate this way. If this doesn't work, I can do why. If that doesn't work, I can do this. I have 500 examples in my head yeah. of all the things that can go right and go wrong doing this procedure. I, I think I would talk about this where like uh, uh, Chappelle, who I think is the best living stand. I don't think anybody can touch him. Mm -hmm. uh, and how the fact that his mom told him ever since he was little, his job was to be a griot and to collect stories. Yeah. It's like, hey, he's brilliant. But I, I can't help but think, a lot of that brilliance comes from the fact that he was from day one as a little kid going, I'm going to take that story, that story. He was collecting stories. Yeah. He has more stories than the next person. Couple that with an insane work ethic and just right. being really great at what you, it's like, that's how a Chappelle happens. Yeah. You talked about Sully. Sully saved all those people on that plane. He had more stories than the next person. Yeah. Right. And then yep. he uses them. And I would say, I think what makes Chappelle so great is he opens people's eyes. Yeah. I think that's true. Right. He's not just up there telling jokes with for no purpose. No. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Well, he's surrendering. Mm. Mm hmm. Right. He's surrendering. Um, he's surrendering to surrendering to a greater purpose. If you uh, watch his uh, the 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 my next guest needs no introduction. Um, oh, the with, Letterman, uh, with Letterman. Yeah. He talks about that. He talks about that and he talks about his Muslim faith, but he talks about how I don't want my life to have no purpose. Like I'm, 
I'm not just trying to sell water balloons. Right. Right. He's feeding people like it's a different level engagement and watch how he is remembered in history. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's really something. So, so to talk about people still know Chappelle. It's not like you lose him in his service, you know, but he, yeah, Ali knew he was fighting for something bigger. Yeah. Right. It's not like we don't know who Muhammad Ali is. (laughs) It was all about service. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I ju- I think that people think they're going to get lost when they put the service first, um, or they think it might not work, you know, or whatever. Um, we don't have in our culture the idea of not doing something as doing something, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, help me understand that. What I mean is, sometimes things don't need your help. So that's such a good way of saying that. You know what I mean? And your ego is trying to help. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, if you've got a scene in a movie that is just inherently heartbreaking. Hmm. I see actors do this a lot. This is, a, this is an actor issue. It's probably a director issue more than it's an actor issue in a lot of ways because a good actor will just do what the director wants, right? Um, uh, or at least one that's easy to work with will do what the director wants. And I think directors often want to see things. So I, I've noticed this a lot. If you watch somebody in life talk about something traumatic in their lives, they almost don't want to talk about it, usually. And there's a lot of holding back. And there's a lot of holding back of tears there's a lot of like, I'm holding back because I think to tell it is to relive it sometimes. Hmm. What I see actors do often is try to convince you that this is sad. I'm going to cry. I'm going to look sad. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to help. But it doesn't need help. It doesn't need you to help if you're talking about your um, well, like when I was talking about my the AG talk that keeps coming up where I talked about my brother's murder. I don't need to do anything to make that to convince people that I feel sad about that. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. That's not, I don't need to do anything. It doesn't need your help. Yeah. It doesn't need my help. Right. Um, and so often what the ego does is it makes people try to help where they, you don't need help. So like I was going to say, like in a movie often um, maybe you don't need the music cue to tell me that it's sad. I, everything else is telling me that. Right. Um, th- there's not, not necessarily something wrong with having music there. I mean, people would argue that um, some people, but I think you can, sometimes it can drop way back into the background. Sometimes it doesn't need to be there at all, whatever. But, um, and sometimes you need it to help. Sometimes it won't work without it for whatever reason. Yeah. But, but if you don't need it, you don't need to pile on. Right. And that piling on often comes from ego. Hmm. Um, Often. Um, Sometimes it comes out of, I think, wanting to make sure you communicate clearly, which is a different issue. But um, a lot of times it's ego, Um, you know. On some level, you're trying to get noticed. Um, I'm always asking myself, how do I not be noticed? 
how do I not call attention to myself? Hmm. Even if it's just me on a stage telling a story or giving a talk, I don't want it to be about myself. You just want to remember the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it becomes about myself when it comes to being vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. That may look like it's about myself, but even being vulnerable is, is about giving something to them, right? Um, when I told you, I mean, when Robert Benton is, you know, an amazing screenwriter, an amazing director, and when I got to meet Robert Benton, um, he, I mean, he, he was amazing, but after that meeting, you know, he gave a talk and he talked about his dyslexia and he talked about uh, how dumb he felt. And I thought, well, this guy wrote, you know, yeah. Kramer versus Kramer and yeah. Places in the Heart. Like, what are you talking about? But he talked no, about it's amazing. How it's amazing. He, he said he knew he was stupid as a kid. That's he crazy. It. Yeah. I, but I know exactly what he's talking about. I do, too. And I sat there as a dyslexic in the audience and I just thought that that was generous of him oh man that's good that was right. generous of him wow right hmm. um and so i and it helped me and i started talking about my dyslexia more i'll talk about it any day of the week now i don't care um and for a long time it was really uncomfortable and i wouldn't say that that has entirely gone away talking about it but i do it as a service the same way i felt robert Benton did it as a service like you know what's funny hmm. and then and then I don't know how many years ago we, I first took class. How many years ago? I don't even know. Whatever that was. I remember your first class, you talked about being dyslexic. And I went home that night and I told Katie, I was like, you know, what's crazy is Brian's dyslexic. Because nobody, I mean, it, more, more people are talking about it now. Yeah. But I don't think I'd ever had a teacher before that talked about it and didn't talk, and talked about it, said it about themselves. Mm-hmm. And if and and didn't talk about it and and how's it under a learning disability or blah, blah blah right right and it was so cool to see somebody who knew what they were talking about and they were dyslexic mm-hmm. right and so it's funny because Robert does that you start teaching that way I'm a student like you know what I mean and yeah. now I'm like I'll talk about all this. I don't really care right right but it's funny how those dominoes keep falling because of that that guy's vulnerability right. You know, right. and I'm sure there's people on our on the that listen to the show that also go like are dyslexic and they're like, man, it's I don't care. I went from being something I didn't want people to know, right, to something I don't really care about talking about anymore, right? Right, or whatever their thing is, right? They'll fill it in yeah, sure. with their yeah, right. thing, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's but the, but it's an act of generosity that Robert Benton generosity, yeah. you know, and so, um, um. You know, I'm just paying it forward, right? I'm just like, oh, I can't thank him for it, but I can make sure other people feel okay about who they are and how they process information or, you know, cognitive diversity, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, okay, so I can't spell, you know, move on. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, it's uh, the best time in the history of our species to not know how to spell. Isn't it? Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Hey, Google or what? You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. yeah, we're focused. You know, we're focused on the wrong things. Uh, I love that idea of like, man, if we saw storytelling as an act of generosity, I just love that framework, right? Because you're right. My grandma was being generous, mm-hmm. and he was being generous. And if you think about the stories that genuinely change your life, those were people being generous. Yeah, right. It required yeah. something from them. Yeah, you know. 
Yeah. Mm. It costs okay. something. It costs something to do some good, right? Nor, uh, uh, um, yeah, I think I remember who said that. But it costs something. Costs something to do something good. Costs something mm. to do good. <laughs> Did Nora say that? Yeah, think? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a great line. Yeah. You know? But anyway, whoever said it, um, I think it's true. Um, and um, so the ego also stops you from paying that price sometimes, right? Mm. Like, I don't want people to know I'm dyslexic, so I'm not going to, yeah. right? That's ego, right? Oh, yeah. My grandma could have said, well, I don't want them to know I grew up poor. Yeah. Yeah. And she could have just let me sit in that. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> let you sit in that. Yeah. You don't. You get eye level. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's a yeah. gift. It's a gift when somebody says, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that insecurity. Yeah, I know that. I, I understand that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a gen it's an act of generosity. People don't see so, it that way. But that's what storytelling is. If you do it well. So you, you, you shift then from story is a way for me to story is a way for me to uh, prove that I'm valuable or, or uh, um, s reinforce my ego to story is a way for me to be generous with other human beings. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like that's an interesting shift. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the part where you give part of yourself, right? That's the part. People are wondering how they're going to get noticed and all of that stuff, but really just give part of, really give part of yourself. Um, you know, when I wrote this memoir that won't be out for a thousand years, but, um, you know, I mean, I was as vulnerable as I could stand to be. Yeah. Then you, you can know? feel that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as vulnerable as I could stand to be. Like, yeah, I didn't, not everything is out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but I was as vulnerable as I could stand to be. And as an act of service, that's why I did it. Um, as an act of service. Mm. Um, and hopefully that will matter to somebody and help somebody. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because that's the job. And hopefully I did all the things, right? Hopefully I did. There's a, a level of transcendence, maybe, I hope. But that's yeah. who knows. But there's magic, I hope. And there's the storytelling and there's the healing. I think I hope all of those elements are there. I, all, I think of those as the same job now. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that's one of the reasons that people respond to spectacle. Uh, because Wait, hold on. Uh, unpack that a little bit. That's great. You well, think that's one of the reasons why people respond to spectacle? Yeah. I mean, we think of spectacle now as a much bigger thing than... But, you know, like when the original Planet of the Apes was out in 68, that that ape makeup was groundbreaking. And it was... It blew everybody's mind. And John Chambers won a special Oscar for it, and I think. And... and um, it was a big deal. And that's spectacle, right? That's an illusion. That's magic, right? Um, people went like, those are apes and they're moving around and they're talking. I know that's 
hard for people to imagine now, but you know what we think is cool now in 40 years is not going to look cool to them. Yeah. So, so, you know, you have to, um, you have to imagine that just trust me (laughs) that, that it was amazing to people and that I think that spectacle is a way in, I think because it, it breaks the pattern. We, we look for patterns and what gets our attention is something different. And I think spectacle is often something different. That's why I think they've overused spectacle, to be honest. Yeah. Because now we've seen everything, right? They haven't, I always say it, but they've taken the special out of special effects. Hmm. Because they've, yeah, used that's them so to, good. they've used them to death. It's like, you know what a magician doesn't do? The same trick twice. Right? Yeah. Right? But they keep doing it like playing peekaboo with a child, like, you know what it's I mean? Hilarious. Like, it's funny to me that when I saw, what is it, Meg? I haven't seen the film or whatever, but I saw the poster for it and I was like, that's hilarious. That the, They think Jaws works because of the shark. Right, right. And it's yeah. like the shark's hardly even in it. Right. So they're like, what if we took a shark and we made him as big as a skyscraper or whatever? Because on the poster, it shows the shark. Like, yeah. like there's a boat and there's a shark. And it's like, I don't think you understand. That's not what made the movie work. Yeah. You know? And like, yeah. imagine Jaws, except now he's as big as a skyscraper. And you're like, why? <laughs> right. Yeah. Why does he need to be as big as a skyscraper? Yeah. Because they won't see it coming. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because why would a shark be as big as a sky? Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> right. What is this conversation we're having right now? You know what I mean? It's just yeah. stupid. It's just, okay. Yeah. That's something nobody's done before. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Whereas you take something like Jurassic Park, right? That has mm. spectacle, right? Yeah. Dinosaurs that no one had ever seen anything like that when that no. movie came out, right? So yeah. you have these basically real dinosaurs, right? As far as yeah. anybody's concerned in the like, what happened? You know, it was such a huge jump in technology mm-hmm. um, that we completely bought it. But the other thing was this idea that you know, that just because science can do something, should they do it? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, we are still dealing with having nuclear weapons, which we, you know, invented for World War Two. Right. But they're yeah. still like it's this. Now we've released that monster into the world. Right. So now we have to deal with that yeah. forever. Um, Dude, I just read a David Bowie quote where David Bowie was saying, you know, the Nietzsche thing where it's like, OK, so we had all this information and it led to Nietzsche's big uh, proclamation that God is dead. And he goes, so then, okay, then I guess that he said, I guess that means that we're God. And he goes, so if we're God, he goes, what did we do with all that power? He's like, we made a nuclear bomb. (laughs) And he was like, what does that tell us? Like, you know, and it's like, (laughs) Bowie, of course, says it way better. But like, it's like, yeah, okay. Did we use it to stop world hunger? (laughs) It's like, no, we used it to make a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So. But Jurassic Park asked that same asked that question. Same right? thing, yeah. It asked that question. Yeah. Almost right? all of Crichton stuff, right? Yeah. Is unintended consequences. You've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So, so um, that's spectacle, Jurassic Park, yep. but it's actually trying to get at a bigger idea, right? Yeah. It isn't just spectacle. Right. The reason that people don't like the other movies as much because all they give you is spectacle. Yeah. None of those other movies have anything to say. Yeah. 
To- you know? it, think about that shot when it's flying away at the end and they look out and they, what do they see? Remember to see the birds? Yeah. And it's like, they're birds now for a reason. Right. Yeah. Birds. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. he always has those ending shots like in Jaws or something where he's like, just to reinforce this one more time. Yeah. Leave them as birds. Right. Yeah. Like, you, you know, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, you're talking about, spe- but I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's exactly right. Like there was, it was, tr- it was bigger than the effects. How many big effects movies have as good of effects of, uh, as Jurassic park who, but who cares? How many, you know, how right. many biggest special effects movies come out every year? And then do people have them? Do they have, have they taken their Jeeps and painted them like a Jeep <laughs> right. from that movie? Do they have right. a tattoo of it? Right. Right. Do they, do they name their kids after, you know, whatever, a character? Like, no, yeah. nobody's doing that for whatever the one the ex- is. Yeah. You know, where the like fault line cracks or whatever. And you got to, <laughs> you know, the rock has got to jump from building to building. Or whatever. It's like, right. nobody's doing that. Right. You know? Yeah. It's not about uh, something deeper. Yeah. So people get caught up in the spectacle, but that's generally true. People get stuck on the surface. They don't even know there's anything underneath. It literally is like believing that there is no puppeteer. Right. Yeah. Well, it's literally like, oh, this is Cookie Monster. This guy, he's yeah. just all about cookies. It's like, no, that's a character created by a person. Um, yeah. Or if you want to count the makers of the puppet, several people. Right. Yeah. Um, and the writers, several people. But yes. Um, but people get stuck on the surface. And that if they only try to imitate the surface, then the only thing they have is is that model of the surface and their ego Mm. right that's all they have they don't know how to create from another place and so what happens is if that's all you're thinking about all you think about and you see you hear directors say this a lot well i wanted to show people something they'd never seen before i don't Mm. can't, can't tell you how many times i've seen that people are so used to special effects we have to you know it's it's created this sort of cold war thing where the audience gets used to effects so you have to keep ramping it up they get used to them you keep ramping it up they get used to that you keep ramping it up but you could tell a better story and your effects could be the 10 year you know 10 years ago you know uh top of the line right and nobody would know the difference yeah no one would know the difference if the story was working Mm. um story here's the thing like but that's but that it's like it's growth, right? Yeah. Hopefully, over time, you grow. You're you're growing a way that your ego gets more and more diminished to the right. point where you can be like my grandma, who's like, "Oh, I don't care if I look weak here." Yeah. Right. You know, a lot of times we'll get storytellers that get stuck at the height of ego. So you're mm-hmm. like that storyteller. He's like a 14 year old boy, and every film he makes is like a 14 year old boy. Yeah. He just massacres people for no reason. He, you know, he makes people run around with their shirts off for no, like whatever. He's yeah. like, oh, it's like, it's like somebody who's all ego, right? And they don't evolve, right? And find something deeper, right? It's right. a really sad thing for any of us to get stuck in that in that place. Yeah, but especially if you if you honor that as, you know, well, I'll just talk about Tarantino. I'm talking about Tarantino, right? Where it's like he's like a 14 year old little kid, and and now that people are like, yeah, okay, man, okay. He doesn't, it seems like he doesn't get it. He's like, but right. everybody used to love it when I would, right. you know, do this or that or whatever. And you're like, man, just grow up. Yeah. You know, just do something like, you know, mm-hmm. evolve a bit. Yeah. You know, it'll be good. It'll yeah. be good. 
you know, it'll be hard, but like, yeah, just give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Stop making the films. A 15 year old person yeah. would make. Yeah. Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I hope he turns around and also, you know, um, I don't want to talk about him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah cause I'll, I don't want to talk. About him. <laughs> yeah. But when you talk about, a lot of times we'll talk about these people that make this work that just la- stands for a long, long, long time. And then the funny thing is you talk about Michael Curtis, you talk about Ford, you talk about all these people. Most people don't know who those people are and it didn't matter. No. It, it didn't, it didn't matter. All they know is that they told great stories that'll stick around for a long time. Right. They were generous acts. Uh, they made something helpful uh, yeah. and people will be continually impacted by their, their films in one way or another, just like my grandma because right. of that. Well, right? the wizard of Oz is a good example, right? The wizard mm-hmm. of Oz had several directors on it. Right? Yeah. I've talked about uh-huh. this before, mm-hmm. but it's probably been a couple of years since I talked about it. So, but, so it had several directors and I think the first director was King Vidor, who nobody will know who that is, but I think he was mm-hmm. the first director. And then, uh, George Cukor came on for a little while. There may be another director in there someplace. I don't remember, but George Cukor came on. And if you, if you look um, at Dorothy uh, before uh, Cukor came on, Dorothy had this blonde hair and it was sort of undone. She didn't have the sort of, you know, braids that we see things we're used to with Dorothy. Uh, it, she looked different. Same actress, same Judy Garland, but she looked different. And when Cukor came in, he was like, well, she's supposed to be a little girl from Kansas, right? Like, you know, maybe we should make her look more like that. And then he left to uh, work on something else. But um, Victor Fleming came in. He's the credited director. Victor Fleming came in and didn't change that. He didn't change the look of Dorothy, right? Because... It wasn't about ego. It was like, that's the right choice for yeah. this story. And Cooper's so, a great director, too. Like, yeah. that's, you know. Yeah, but that's his contribution, changing Dorothy to yeah. be more like a little girl from Kansas, which she's supposed to be, right? Yep. Um, and so um, that's not ego. That's yeah. surrendering to the story. What's the story say we're supposed to do here? Um, yep. Right? And then the new director didn't change it just because it wasn't their decision or their idea or their, it was like, no, that's perfect. Yeah. Leave that alone. Right. Mm. Um, I, I, uh, I had a, a room, my roommate in LA used to, it was a special effects makeup artist and he was working on one of the Freddy Krueger movies. And, and I don't remember which one, uh, but um, every time they made one of those movies and there was a different effects house doing the makeup. They changed Freddy Krueger's makeup. And I would hear these guys talk and they'd go, Oh, that last movie, boy, they really, that stunk, you know, the way they did it. And it was like, I don't even see the difference between one and the next and the next. Right. But they made it all about that. And it was like, Oh, that's ego. Mm. That's ego. We have to put our mark on it. Yeah. We have to scent market, so it smells like us. There's no yep. difference. You know, the audience didn't seem to care. You know, yep. um, this big thing, you're making a big thing, it didn't impact the audience. Um, but it was all ego. Well, how do we put our mark on it? Yeah. You know, um, they weren't really correcting real mistakes or problems. That was never the thing. It was just that. And it's that's so much the- wasted energy. It is. 
Instead of just, just pouring all your energy into going like, well, hold on a second. What am I trying to say? I mean, Dorothy's from Kansas, right? Right. Like I get cuckoo or whatever. King might've liked blondes. I don't know. Right. But that's not what's right for the story. Let's just do what's right for the story. It's like, it's actually a way easier way to work too. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know? He's like, well, I mean, for this scene, I don't actually think we need to move the camera. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Got it. We got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you understand what you're trying to say and that things saying again, you don't need to help, you know, it's like, but where you do, it's like, again, surrendering to the story the same way. Um, you know, I've talked about the way the song was written about the, the way uh, over the rainbow came was yeah, exactly that. It was all about surrendering, right? It was all about the songwriters because rainbows aren't mentioned in the book. They're not in the book. There's no mention of rainbows. Right. But the book says over and over again that Kansas is very gray. And so as they were trying to come up with this song, they realized they thought, well, the only color she might see in gray Kansas is the rainbow. And so then they create that song out of that surrendering to the material. Yep. And then what does the director do? The director says, great, that's a really good idea. I'll do the first part of the movie in black and white. And do the part where she's in Oz in color because this is a whole new world. This is a whole it's new amazing. Right? Like that's surrendering. It's a creative decision, but it comes completely out of the need of the story and surrendering to the story. It's amazing. Like it amazing. try coming up with that out of nowhere. Find <laughs> the answers in the text. Like what's amazing is that when that happens, everybody's like, wow. But the funny thing is I think, I think folks might not know where that, where that idea came from. They might just be like, Oh, I got it. You know what somebody hasn't done yet? You know, right. right after the end of that first act, you're like, whatever. You're like, no, but that's not that's <laughs> not what they were doing it for. There was a purpose behind everything. It right. wasn't arbitrary. Right. And, and a lot of times these these decisions, if their decisions are arbitrary, that's ego. Yeah. Right. It's just like, well, I never seen a film that went black and white to color then back to color and then to sepia and then over to gray. You're like, you know, shit, yeah. because there's no reason. Yeah. To do that all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Unless you have a reason. And so that's a no, that's a great that's a great point, because talk about a breakthrough. Uh, uh, I mean, everybody knows what you're talking about when you everybody say that. remembers that's an amazing that. decision. Yeah. But it came out of the material. It's amazing. the What looks like creative decisions that can come out of the material. Yeah, that's great. And out of surrendering. Yeah. Right. Um, stuff you never would have thought of if you were on the outside trying to come up with things. You have yeah. to go inside to come up with that. Yes. Oh, and the, man, that's so good. it's really good. And it's everybody in the, everybody, all the good decisions were coming out of the story, writing the song, going from black and white to color, Dorothy's hair choice, all of them coming out of surrendering to the story. Yeah. Right. Not one of them is just some random idea. It's amazing. It is amazing. I love it. And you yeah. can feel it in the piece. You can't feel I mean, it lasts forever. The movie mm. was made in 1939. Yeah. You know, that. There's something about that movie. Not only is it, I think it great. But, it, it, you know, it, it, it got released the week that Hitler invaded Poland. Mm. And I, I think about that a lot because I think The Wizard of Oz is really. In a lot of ways, the best of us. Hmm. At the same time, Hitler was the worst of us. 
and that we can wow. be both those things at the same time. I think about that a lot, actually. It's hard for me to watch that movie and not think this came out the week that Hitler invaded Poland. You know what's amazing about that, too, is that you go, and any other movie, would that would have been the end of it. Any other movie, that would have been the end of it. War breaks out the weekend, your movie comes out, good right. luck. Right. That's the end. It wasn't. No. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, think about that. How many people do you know their film comes out and something big happens? Oh, right, yeah. Or whatever. And you're like, oh, that was the end of that. You know? But if yeah. you make Wizard of Oz, if you make sure make Shawshank, if you right. make, like, if it's, right? Right. People will find it because they will be served by it. Yes. Right. That's so good. they'll find it. They'll find it. You know, Shawshank didn't make money on its initial release. Wizard of Oz didn't make money on its initial release, right? They think it's because it was the week that Hitler invaded Poland. Hmm. Um, and people were kind of glued to their radios and stuff. Um, but um, but people will find it. It's Wonderful Life didn't make money on its initial release, yeah. right? Um, but if it serves something higher, yeah. um, people will find it. If it's just spectacle, people may never find it. Right? Mm. Um, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. It's magic, right? <laughs> it's magic, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Thanks for watching You Are a Storyteller. This program is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency. If you have any questions or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, Leave a comment below or email us at hello at beliefagency.com.